Welcome to At the Threshold, a podcast for ministry leaders during this new, unsettled season in the life of the church. We are your hosts, Ashley Alley Crawford and Shelley Pitts. And we are both clergy in the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately a thousand churches in the states of Kansas and Nebraska. Shelley works with clergy faith and wellness with the Great Plains Conference. And Ashley is the Clergy Recruitment and Development Coordinator, and we're sharing this from the Office of Clergy Excellence. Our focus here in At the Threshold is to host a conversation with and for clergy in order to describe what's happening, ask questions to help get us unstuck, and encourage the heart of pastors and leaders in this liminal time in which we find ourselves. Liminal may be a new word, but a new season calls for a new word. Liminal means a threshold from what we've always known to, well, we don't know just yet what life and ministry is becoming. Our goal here is to find a little light at the threshold. In our conversations, we are seeking to describe some of the dynamics that we're seeing and identify some questions and possibilities that are bubbling up for us. Ultimately, we hope you leave today with your heart encouraged in some way. Each time we gather, it's our hope that you'll glean one or two things to think about, act upon, or pray through. Well, thanks for joining us today for the first part of our Hindsight 2020 conversation. You can subscribe so that you don't miss the second part, which will be out in just a couple of weeks. Look up At The Threshold on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Podbean. Or you can check out individual episodes at greatplainsumc.org slash at dash the dash threshold. Thanks for joining us today. the world started to shift due to the coronavirus. Our beloved churches in the Great Plains Conference of the UMC had to learn to do things differently as well. How would our thousand plus churches worship with restrictions and gathering? What would it look like to increase or to create a church's online presence? What about the people in our churches and our communities who were most vulnerable to all the perils of this new unsettled season, the physical, the financial, the social perils? How could the church keep showing love to others? In the midst of these turbulent days, the conference leaders of the Great Plains started listening and trying to find ways to support pastors and churches while continuing to uphold the mission and the vision of our Great Plains Conference. We've all been in experimentation mode at every level, discerning and listening and creating and encouraging and just trying new things. For us at the conference level, that's looked like resources and grants and support and even waiving two months of apportionments for churches. One of the things that we've done from the Office of Clergy Excellence is to hold these bi-weekly conversations that we've called At the Threshold. With this name, we're recognizing that we are in the midst of what has been described as a liminal time. Liminal means a threshold and includes both disruption and opportunity. It's painful and promising. 
Today is the beginning of a two-part conversation of the Great Plains Conference leaders who are looking back on this year. We're calling it Hindsight 2020, and it'll be an opportunity to reflect on this historic year together. Reflection allows us to see God and ourselves a bit more clearly. Looking back, we can see God's presence, discern God's voice, and tune our hearts to hear more vividly God's voice in the future. It's easy in such a new and disruptive season to just kind of move along and react to the changing dynamics and just try to do our best to meet each challenge as it comes. But now we're at the end of the year and we wanna stop, take a look around, even take a look within and invite everyone listening to do the same. You'll be hearing from Bishop Rubensines Jr., Directors Nancy Lambert, Nathan Stanton, Scott Brewer, and Todd Seifert, and Dean of the Cabinet, Mitch Reese. One comment as you listen. Nathan Stanton was diagnosed with ALS this summer, a condition that impacts his speech. In order to allow listeners to more easily understand the wisdom he shares, we've sped up his speech in the editing process. When we started 2020, we anticipated that General Conference would be the cataclysmic event of the year. As it turned out, we had a global pandemic, racial tensions, economic crises, personal health crises, and all the ripples of each one of these things. How are we holding up? How are each of you holding up? How do we explore the pain and the possibility? What will become of us? Today's conversation is going to touch on a few of these questions and more as we get a picture of what God has been doing and is continuing to do in the midst of us. And as we talk to six of our Great Plains leaders, we are so grateful that each of these leaders has said yes to joining us for this conversation. We know that we are asking each of them to do something out of the norm of their typical work. And we're not only giving them a microphone, but we're also recording it for distribution. We thank you for your willingness to share and to perhaps be a little bit more vulnerable than we typically expect as a part of your work. We're going to start with a little introduction and a hello to each of you. And today we begin with our fearless leader, Bishop Ruben Sines Jr., who this summer wrapped up four years as our bishop. Bishop, what is something that we might not know about you that you could share with us today? I would just, I think I'm just gonna confirm what people's suspicion. And that that is that I, I like structure. I think that structure is not suffocating. It's, it helps me be creative. And so it also helps me keep accountable to myself, especially at, at a time when our rhythms have been disrupted. So structure helps me stay focused. And uh, so some of the things I do for structure are, I try to stay fit. So I exercise every morning, whether I feel like it or not. I try to stay healthy and eat well. Um, every, every meal is a decision. Uh, I'm trying to stay connected with our clergy. Uh, we, we have the daily devotional. So every day I, I set aside some time to pray for the four clergy mentioned on the daily devotional page. And so I send them uh, a message, let them know that I'm praying for them, trusting connected with our clergy, uh, sending letters, video messages, and things like that. And of course, the, the family. 
that's been that's been something you know we, we get so focused on work that sometimes we we don't spend or focus as much time as we can on our family so i try to stay focused and, and, and ultimately to christ and so i do that to the lectionary studies um and then i try to stay focused also by staying on top of weekly objectives every sunday i i map out my objectives for the week and these are these are not tasks an objective can do a lot of tasks but it's what i want to deliver and produce at the end of the week i'm trying to stay learned read as much as i can as often as i can and, uh, and I'm even taking a writing course from the University of Michigan right now. So through Coursera, and I'm, I'm excited about that. And I'm planning to facilitate a, an online uh, study on Be a Disciple, on the healing ministry of Christ in the church this January. So, so yeah, aside from, from all that, uh, and, and try to handle the day-to-day decisions that are, that are made, I have a great staff around me. And so it makes the work so much easier and uh um, and clear. Thank you so much, Bishop, for a little glimpse into your world. Also joining us today is Reverend Nancy Lambert. Nancy is the Director of Clergy Excellence and Assistant to the Bishop. Nancy, what about you? What is something that we might not know about you? Well, as I've uh, thought what I wanted to share, um, I've realized that it, uh, I've been alive long enough that I've had a lot of time to reflect on how my childhood has affected my adulthood. And um, so um, I thought I would share with you an, a kindergarten experience that I know has shaped me. And that is um, because I am left-handed and my kindergarten teacher was um, what my mom always referred to as very old school and almost ready to retire. Um, she was of the vintage in which left-handed people were tried to make be made into right-handers. And um, I had grown up with an aunt who was left-handed. My mom's sister was left-handed. My mom's mom was left-handed. So it was normal. It was accepted. It wasn't a big deal in my family. And so at five, I go to kindergarten and she's trying to get me to write on the chalkboard with my right hand and to you know, hold my paper the right way and the pencil the right way and the scissors, no less. And um, of course I had learned how to manipulate kindergarten scissors with my left hand and you hold them and you put pressure on them differently in your left hand than you do your right hand. I couldn't cut with them in my right hand. And I remember one day when um, she came to my desk, took the hands, scissors out of my left hand, put them in my right hand and um, told me to cut with my right hand. But I knew that we were being graded on how well we cut this object out. And I still remember what it was, uh, but we were going to be graded on that. And it's like, there's no way I'm going to get a, get, uh, a lower grade because I can't cut with these scissors with my right hand. So I switched as soon as she turned away. Um, and watch for her to come back. <laughs> but I realize as in many um, times I've reflected on, on my own personality and the way I approach things that that ha might have been the start of my determination to always do the best that I can <laughs> because I was left-handed and my kindergarten teacher didn't think it was good enough to be left-handed. And so I just share that as a part of who I am. Glimpse of, of where that power in you came from, from the very early stages and how you have used that as a gift in the midst of your work. We welcome next, Reverend Nathan Stanton. Nathan is the Director of Clergy Excellence. Nathan, 
what is something that you might share with us to help us get to know you a little bit better as well? Well, as a PK, we moved every few years. And one thing I always took with me was a passion for sports. Uh, everything else can go wrong, but give me a ball and a field and a competition, and I was home. So one many of you in this will date me, but in 1980, the USA won the gold medal in ice hockey. At that time, my father was DS and for Hutchinson District. That parsonage had the closed-in backyard. And so we built goals with netting and we started a, a hockey league when we were in the sixth grade. And so those of us who started that together all went on to be involved in entrepreneurial work. One owns an online one sales business in California. I do new churches. The other runs his own dentist office. And the other one built hay bale homes for a while. He is a granola. Time. But until that um, I am passionate about teams. We can all snore and stand out at times. But a great team is what gets you beyond what you hope you can do on your own and what God can do through you. So that's a little bit about me. Thank you, Nathan, and for your witness to how you surround yourself with a team in work and at home and every day. And so may we learn from the importance of surrounding ourselves with an incredible team. Next, we welcome Todd Seifert, the Director of Communications. He is here with us. Todd, would you be able to share with us to get to know you just a bit more as well? 
I, I suspect that when we get through the end of this, you'll find that this is the more boring of the of the reports here. But um, uh, I host the In Layman's Terms podcast, and as of July, I'm a certified lay minister in the United Methodist Church, so kind of proud about that. Um, I uh, was a journalist for 20 years before I joined the conference, uh, just short of six years ago now. Uh, the last 15 of those, I was an executive editor in St. George, Utah, which meant I was a regional editor with USA Today and uh, had a lot of fun stories. Uh, the most interesting one probably that people have heard of is uh, if you've ever heard of Warren Jeffs, who was the polygamous leader, uh, his compound was in our home county. And so uh, a report that one of our journalists uh, did uh, actually started the investigation into him because we were able to find out that more people were earning, were getting welfare in that city than lived in that city. And so it started off as a fraud case uh, between the two states, Utah and Arizona. But uh, other than that, my, my passions, uh, I'm, I'm a big, big sports guy. I'm a sports dad. My daughter played college basketball and my son's in his senior year at Nebraska Wesleyan playing college baseball. And so my hobbies uh, pretty much have been working with young pitchers, uh, usually like age nine up to about 14 or so. And then I pass them on to somebody that can teach them more. Uh, but uh, the, only, the only job I didn't do professionally in a newsroom was photography. And so that's my, that's my hobby is to, to go play with the camera uh, for uh, some recreation and to relax. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And thank you for all the work that you do behind um, so much. And we're so grateful that you're here to be with us to, to teach us what it's like to be um, sometimes in front of the camera, sometimes behind the camera, um, but always with a call from God. Thank you so much. We welcome with us as well, Scott Brewer, our treasurer and director of administrative services. Thank you for joining us, Scott. What can we get to know about you as we begin today? Well, uh, I grew up in Nebraska. My parents are both uh, retired elders who spent their careers uh, in Nebraska. And something uh, perhaps some folks don't know about me, uh, maybe some of the Nebraskans do, is I was a bit of a radical uh, in college. Um, Bishop Martinez uh, used to say he kept a $100 bill in his desk drawer so he could bail me out of jail if I ever got arrested at a protest. Um, I'm also actually uh, have a terrible uh, academic career when it comes to math. Uh, I remember sitting in math for liberal arts in college and thinking this is utterly preposterous. There's no way I'm ever using math ever again once I get out of this godforsaken class. And, uh, and God had other plans. Um, and I, I don't know that I love math necessarily, but I love what math tells me about the church. And I especially love the church um, and communicating the meaning of that to, uh, to folks who may dislike math as much as, as I once did. So telling when those are the words from your treasurer and director of administrative <laughs> services. We are glad you are with us, Scott, and for your leadership that has been um, instrumental. And next we welcome Reverend Mitch Reese, the Dean of the Cabinet and District Superintendent for Wichita East and West Districts. Mitch, we welcome you and what can you share with us to get to know you a little bit more today? Well, kind of two things came to mind. One is, um, I don't know how many people know, but really I would classify myself as a mystic. So I kind of like this whole uh, pandemic thing a little bit um, because one of my favorite times in the day is really that time with God and really just being able to tune in to try to listen and hear. And so, so that's very, um, that's just, that just brings me a lot of life. 
um, probably something um, maybe more in my, my personal life is, is I've always had a great love for travel internationally and locally. My parents every summer took us on a vacation, packed up us three kids and uh, went. And uh, so that's really birthed that passion and had the privilege over um, my lifetime to spend this a lot of places, travel a lot of places, but spend especially three times living kind of in different cultures overseas, uh, one in Israel, one in Haiti, and then one in England. And and I guess why I really love that is just the being able to interact with people from different cultures and really getting to know their heart and how they view their world. And also I have a real love for history. So being able to um, learn from different cultures, how they've approached life and how they see um, their world. And then to reflect back on the past to say, what about the past teaches us about the present? And uh, even I was recently reading an article, you know, on the pandemic um, from 1918 and just so much reflected in what we see today. I mean, so much can be learned about how people responded and also to see how much stays the same. And so I just find a real passion in all of that, learning about cultures and people and history and how it uh, helps us map where we are today, where we're heading into the future. Great. Thank you so much for what a wonderful group. I've learned a few things. Um, I'm still envisioning a bunch of kids in 1980 in Hutchinson, <laughs> Kansas kids who have never probably been on ice skates, um, building a building a hockey field in the Stanton's backyard. So um, it's fun to get to, to hear a little bit more about each of you here. Well, we have a, a little harder of a question um, that, that we want to invite all of you, all of you to, to share with us about. Um, and it's all that you all get the same question here. We want to know um, what you wish you would have known a year ago. Uh, is there anything that you can think of um, that that might have helped you kind of prepare for for the the unknown year ahead. Is there anything you wish you would have known a year ago, Bishop? We're going to start out with you, and then the rest of y'all can just jump in after that. We always have this illusion or delusion that we can control things, and that if we do X, Y, and Z, then A, B, and C will happen. And uh, and this pandemic has just kind of spun that that. Uh, that mindset on its on its uh, on its heels because there's so much that is out of our control right now. And so what, what I've been focusing on is is not so much the fruitfulness part of our work, but the faithfulness part of our work. How do we make, maintain our faithfulness at a time when you really can't see a direct impact or result of your efforts? For example. Uh, you know, many of our pastors are, are preaching virtually and hundreds, thousands of people tune in and there's no feedback. There's no, there's nobody at the door that said, oh, pastor, that was a beautiful sermon. I'm going to do hundred percent of it and my life's going to change tomorrow, you know, or this, today. And so it's, it's just this, this void, this, this uh, absence of feedback. But, but because you don't get the feedback, you don't stop doing what you're doing. And so... And for me, it's it's been a switch from focus on fruitfulness to focus more on faithfulness, uh, especially when so much is out of our control. Yeah. Who else besides, you know, invest in Zoom? <laughs> that would have been nice to know a year ago. <laughs> well, as I thought about this question and, and thinking about what normally is going on in my work world at this time of year, we're starting to plan for the next annual conference. If we'd known a year ago 
that annual conference would is, was going to be totally shifted and, and scrapped from our face-to-face -face annual conference. We wouldn't have spent so much time January, February, and early March working on annual conference. We would have done the work differently. As I think about it, if, if, if we had known, not necessarily what we would have faced, because I think we all want to know that, but for me, it's like what the priorities have been for the churches at the local level. Uh, because for some of them, it's been, uh, how, do I, how am I going to do worship uh, you know, virtually? For others, it's how am I going to keep small groups together? Yeah. Uh, and for a lot of them, it's they're dealing with legalities that they've never had to deal with before. And so our team uh, really would have wished we could, would have known that because <laughs> we would have built this huge portal of information, right? Uh, uh, and it would have been ready March 1st uh, instead, of, instead of having to build things on the fly. Uh, but I guess in a way we, we lucked out because about two years ago, we did this survey of, of districts and we asked churches, what do you want to know about communications? What are some things we can help you with? And so we did this, this five region type of approach to training where we covered a lot of the things that came in really handy during the pandemic. And I'm really glad we videotaped those because that really came in handy uh, as churches needed that kind of information. But for me, it's like, is that the priorities? Because some churches, that they, they, they prioritize something differently than another church. And for, there's a lot of different reasons for that. So that's the that's my, uh, wow, I wish I would have known for 2020. I've got a couple of things I wish I'd known. I think the first one is don't try to hold annual conference with a conference call, uh, or at least remind everybody to go on mute before they go to the bathroom during that uh, conference call. Um, but I, I'd echo the bishop. Uh, I've spent most of my career dealing with regulatory matters and uh, uh, policy and, and, and numbers. And uh, what I've really seen over and over again is how much this pandemic has tested matters of culture and faith uh, and resiliency of, of our churches and of our conference. Um, because when, when people are clear about who they are and they're clear about who they serve uh, and they're clear about why they do that, uh, it answers a whole lot of questions for you just, just automatically. Um, and, and so um, it's not to say that this is a yardstick about who's doing better on, on any of those, uh, but I do think it, it to me, hits home the point that everything I do in regulation and metrics, it's all well and good. But the, the emphasis, the, the, the primacy of faith and, and uh, culture of understanding who we are and why we are um, is so much more important than uh, what goes on in a statistical form. I think for me, thinking about that, it's if I'd have known how divisive the pandemic was going to become, we were already, I know, looking at some divisiveness with the human sexuality issue, but this kind of broadened the field to it seemed like everything became divisive. And and I don't know if I would think we'd I'd have done more work in we did some work at how to stay at the table in conversation, but how could we broaden that out? Because a lot of clergy, when we hit the justice issues and things, really weren't equipped how didn't understand the culture and how divisive it was. And so they would step into things with not with any intention of bringing offense and yet it just would blow up. And, and I think to have maybe had a heads up and thought more about that um, ahead of time um, could have been helpful and could have uh, maybe allowed some churches not to experience some things as harmfully as they have. So that would be my thought. I don't know that 
and knowing ahead of time where congregations would be in late March would have helped them. It may have scared them into self-protection rather than being forced to adapt or become irrelevant in 30 days. So the one of my staff sort of in frustration Frustration said in March it took a pandemic to get the church to fully adapt, and there is that sense of whether knowledge ahead of time would have helped. Many churches already online and online giving really did okay doing the others with a greater jump to make and a harder time. Yeah, and I would just like to add that I think Scott, you probably are probably more more aware of this, but from 2016 forward, I mean, we we were preparing for a disruption. The whole idea about staff uh, consolidation, consolidating offices, you know, lightening our load with uh, with properties at the district level, uh, and and forming the the uh, churches and clergy to networks was really to build. Uh, a community of belonging that would give people the, the relationships that would uh, provide the resilience needed for any type of disruption the church may face. And I mean, we were thinking it was going to be the 2019 uh, general conference that was going to disrupt and and uh, and put the church in a different place. Lo and behold, it turned out to be COVID-19 on top of that. But I think looking back on, it's not, you know, so... I, I'm, I'm really proud of the way that we anticipated the disruption and we did the, the work prior to it. I mean, I know that Todd did a lot of training for, for video tech because part of the plan was if we have churches that don't have pastors, how can we get messages online so that they can continue worship, you know, by, by having the technology needed so that they can continue their, their worship. And so we had already thought about, about this. So we didn't start at zero during the pandemic, we had already covered, made a lot of ground and made a lot of decisions, structural decisions and infrastructural decisions that I think gave us an advantage and, and a higher level of readiness for, for this next level of, of disruption at, at the global level, so. Yeah, yeah I think that's a re really great point. Um, and as I'm talking to others and other conferences, other conference staff, I'm hearing a little more anxiety um, about some of those things that you're that you're mentioning. We just were very well prepared um, and grateful to, to be to be in that place of resiliency. Yeah. 
I appreciate the look um, from each of you at that question of, of what is that, what could we have known or wish we would have known. We want to take a moment to ask each of you individually some questions. Um, invite you to consider how, how you would respond, and these will be just for, for you. We'll begin again with Bishop. Bishop, you are so always so good about your own intentionality about learning and inviting all of us as clergy to always be learning and growing. And so we'd like to ask you, you mentioned a bit about the, what you've learned about moving from fruitfulness to faithfulness, but what else have you learned during this season? Well, I've learned that, that we need to trust each other because in a, so I learned this from Susan Beaumont. She did a workshop for the, for the bishops and she talks about the starlings. The starlings are, they're a bird and they flock, but, but when they, when they fly, they, they, they convene and they don't have a leader. It's not like a duck that there's somebody out in front of the bee. And so starlings fly up in, in no, in no form or pattern. And all each starling is focused on the six neighbors around it for its movement. But it's not watching the 2,000 birds. It's only watching the, the six closest people to it. And they're watching the six closest, and they're watching the six. So the whole organ, organism is watching each other intuitively, picking up on wind patterns and, and directions until finally it comes to consensus and then it moves as one big group. And starlings can go in groups of 200 as, to as high as several thousand. And, and it's a beautiful thing when you watch them emerge into this pattern that will then go in a direction. And I think right now we're, we're in a state of emergence and, and we, all we can do is like, I, I have this amazing team. So these are my six. And so I look to them on a weekly basis to kind of get a sense for what they're seeing they look to others, they look to others, the networks look to each other. And, and one by one, we're kind of intuitively figuring out what the next steps are going to be. So, so this is kind of a leaderless organization. I think it's really, it's really made us more dependent upon the movement of the spirit and more discerning. Uh, and, and at the same time, more aware of the other and more appreciative of the other, because we know that we're all kind of groping our way into this, into this new thing that's emerging. And so that's, I mean, that's one of the things that I've learned is how to trust that, that and, and we have a, such a low trust environment, but now we're calling ourselves to a high trust environment. And, and, um, and, I, and I'm really proud of the Great Plains Conference because I see that happening I mean, we, we've got the infrastructure for that to happen. Our committees are working together. Our, our networks are working together. Our churches are partnering with each other. They're resourcing each other. And so we're all just kind of seeing, you know, what, what's emerging uh, and with, without any clear expectation of what it will finally look like. So for me, that, that has been a different type of leadership style. Um, and I just admire and I, and I honor and I celebrate all the great work that our clergy are doing out there as they're learning from their people and from their context clues and, you know, and, and, uh, and the experts and, and, and their life of prayer. So it's, it's formless in a way, but it has a form and that's okay. And, um, and, we're, and we're experiencing this not just as a denomination, but also as a nation and as a world. 
Um, but patterns are emerging and, and hopefully th there's been enough disruption that healthier patterns will emerge all over the place at every level in our family systems, in our churches, in our communities, in our nation and, and throughout our world. So, so this is this is the time when we just got to breathe and, and trust the, our, our closest inner circle and, and try to, uh, to figure out what we need to figure out for, for this day because tomorrow has enough worries of its own. You just mentioned about how this affects both the nation and, and the entire world and you get to work with leaders and individuals from across the nation and the world. Yeah. What have you seen is the impact of COVID-19 crisis what impact is it having on the church with the big C? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, I, so I was on a call with, with, our, with our council of bishops and uh, we had uh, the bishop from, um, uh, oh, from, from, uh, from, so from South Africa and also from, uh, from Denmark and, and, to, and the Philippines. And to hear what's happening in their countries and how the church is responding of course, they, they have the same situations that we are all experiencing here. Uh, COVID-19 has pulled back the thin veneer on those that don't have full access to health care, those that are food insecure, uh, those that are migrating and don't have a place to, to stay. Uh, and so, so we see that happening. The, the real concrete impact of, um, uh, of lack of jobs, uh, of political unrest, uh, migration and also just hunger. I mean, that's that's stark and, and access to healthcare. So churches are doing an amazing job of responding, and our churches are doing a, a great job here responding to the to the hunger needs. We have a lot of hunger in our Great Plains. One church, for example, in Trinity in Grand Island, had a food distribution, and they were going to give away I think 400 baskets up from 100, and there was a thousand cars lined up, and they had to turn cars away because they ran out of food. And so all these people lined up for hours waiting for food. But, 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 but what's happening with a big church also is that I think the church is returning back, as Scott said, to its identity and to its center and to, and to its original purpose. You gotta remember in the first century that the, the Christian church did not have buildings. It was uh, the, 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 the Jews had synagogues and temple and a temple, but the Christians did not. They met in houses, they met in the street corners, they met in the catacombs. Uh, and yet the movement flourished. Same thing happens in China right now. People, people have got to build relationships and share their faith and sustain each other with encouraging words and hymns of faith and prayer and caring for one another. And I think we've returned back to the elemental aspects of our Christian life which have become secondary. Uh, and so I, I see more missional communities springing up. I see more fresh expressions happening. Uh, I see more permission giving to laity to be the church outside of the church building. And so for the big church, we, we are where I think we would have been 10 years from now or 20 years from now, COVID has just accelerated that. The use of online, I mean, right now we have pod, Christian podcasts, we have you know, uh, televangelists, we have all kinds of, you know, uh, YouTube worship services. It's a consumer's market right now. And so churches really need to rethink how is it that we stay connected? How is it that we do Christian formation? And they're figuring it out. They're figuring out how to do that. And I think it's exciting. 
I think we, we, we haven't been this alive as a church for hundreds of years. So it's not, it's not that it's easy, but it's just that we are, we're back to the fundamentals and the basics of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Bishop. Nancy, we turn to you. We'd like to ask you, from your work, what have you seen in terms of clergy leadership during this year that has made a difference for you both personally and professionally? One of the things that um, I've noticed in all the different conversations that I've had with clergy over the last six or seven months is that for many of them, the, the boundary between uh, family life and work life has um, merged and has fallen. And it's very hard to keep a boundary, um, to put boundaries around your work time when you are doing everything at home, when you're working from home, when you're recording worship from home. And so um, as, as I've you know, had those conversations and learned about that struggle and also the, the exhaustion that many of them are feeling, especially in our small churches, because so much falls on them. They're the, often the only one who does um, the recording and puts worship together because they don't have those tech people in their congregation. So what that has meant for, for my work and for clergy excellence is that we have shifted um, what we are offering to clergy and focusing a whole lot more than what we normally do on the things like self-care, your spiritual nurture, um, in, in ways of people connecting and, and caring for themselves, which we do always some, but we also, you know, try to provide other continuing education opportunities that meet um, that are more skill oriented, whereas now we really are focusing much more on the personal side of ministry and self-care. And as you've been learning and growing and adapting, what has surprised you in this season? One thing that has surprised me is how, how much we can do with Zoom. I mean, we've, we've all had to learn a whole lot more about Zoom and about its capabilities, um, which has meant that, you know, we have found um, new ways of connecting. It is so much fun to hear how people have made Zoom meetings actually fun. I mean, uh, charge conferences have been fun. I was like, how often do we say charge conference is fun? But, um, but I heard that comment um, after a recent charge conference meeting on Zoom. And so, you know, Zoom can work, online can work. It still does um, keep us together. The other thing that, that has surprised me is um, how churches, how congregations, how pastors have led their congregations to step up and do ministry differently and how that has really energized people who otherwise maybe weren't quite so connected to the mission and the ministry of the church, but there are new opportunities that have come up. So there, in some places, there are more people actually involved in the life of the church because they're doing, um, making uh, meals that they have available for people to come and pick up, or um, maybe they're doing an online Bible study and they have these people from all over joining them instead of just in their local community. They've got friends and relatives from all places in the United States and um, the, Af the African pastors, some of them have shared that they have people from their home countries, their family and friends back home are watching their worship services. And those things are just really surprising to see how 
the shift that we've had to do has really uh, made a change in ministry, how we do mission and ministry, but in, in connections. What a powerful witness to how we are to be witnesses in the world that we're learning right now as, as you speak. Thank you so much. I want to turn now to a couple of questions for Scott. Scott, we would like to ask you, how would you explain what you have seen in terms of finances during a pandemic? Well, I think one of the realities that, that we kind of have to deal with here is how inadequate averages are to explain what the reality of the COVID world is. Um, and that is true at every level of the connection. Uh, we have churches, uh, particularly our larger churches or more urban churches that have seen uh, even increases in giving during this time. And then we have uh, churches um, predominantly in more rural areas and smaller churches that have really struggled uh, with income. But the same thing is true with their membership base and, and with the population at large. Um, our, um, you know, I just saw some statistics here uh, today uh, for folks making 60,000 or more in the states of Kansas and Nebraska, their income is basically unchanged from where it was a year ago. But if you're uh, if you're in the, uh, the group of, of, of 27,000 or below, you've seen a 15 to 20% drop in your income uh, over that same period of time. And so one of the real realities is, you know, things financially for, for us as an annual conference have been strong. Things for a lot of our churches have been strong, but that is partly a reflection of the economic reality of a lot of our members. Um, and and that's a you know that's a blessing for those of us who've been able to work from home and who have been able to uh, to continue to to do the things we, we normally would do with some with some minor inconveniences and uh, and, and so forth. But um, that has not necessarily been the reality for for everyone in our communities. And I think that's going to be um, something we're going to have to contend with, particularly as we start to come back um, out of uh, out of lockdown. Uh, and you might be to hear my kids in the background right now. Uh, hopefully they'll keep it to a, a dull roar uh, as, uh, as we go here. Um, one of the things, though, that really has surprised me has been um, that we have been so financially resilient. Um, and, that's a, and that's a good thing, I think. And it, it really does speak to as well, I think, not just that, that many of our members have not been as negatively affected economically as, as perhaps it's maybe been true for, for other people. Um, but also that they've continued to maintain their generosity over time. And the ability to uh, do online giving and do scheduled giving has really made a difference, I think, in, uh, in, in allowing churches to have a, a stronger sense of financial security, simply because you're no longer relying upon a family to remember their checkbook and to come on a Sunday to drop a check in an offering plate. Um, and, and, and not having to depend upon that anymore, I think really has been a big benefit for a lot of our churches. Thank you for giving us an overview and a glimpse of, of what you're seeing. It's really helpful to give us a good perspective. And we also wonder from you, what have you learned personally during this season? Well, uh, <laughs> I, um, I've learned how much I wish there was a door on this office. Um, I have learned um, how much uh, I am really uh, tired of television. Um, I have learned that although I am a tremendous introvert, uh, I need people in my life. 
and not regularly seeing people outside of my own immediate family. Um, uh, it gets it gets a little old after a while, and, and particularly it affects my ability to think in different ways. I feel like I kind of get stuck in a rut of my own of my own thinking. Um, and and I've realized how much I miss um, just being challenged by being around people I don't know well and having to be in new places. Um, I don't travel a lot, uh, probably compared to particularly anybody else who's part of this, this conversation right now uh, in terms of my work on the conference. I'm kind of trying to ask most of the time. Um, but, uh, but nevertheless, um, feeling that sense of disconnection from the reality of local churches has really felt acute um, in, in this time. And, and so having those phone calls, which have been really rich and wonderful, has been great, but I do miss getting to be out in the territory. And, and Thanks, Scott, for, uh, for your two cents. Uh, by the way, um, personal observation, I think that the Bishop Signs doesn't need to keep a $100 bill in his desk to bail you out of jail anymore. So I think you probably well, like got a blank check. <laughs> oh, oh, a blank check. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Well, uh, I have to confess that the expression hindsight is 2020 was on our minds as we planned this conversation. Typically, it means that we can see the picture clearly now. Well, I'm not sure if that's true for us as the year 2020 comes to an end, but listening to each of you bear witness to where God has sustained you and where your hope is, is grounded. Um, it gives me a sense of hope, a hopefulness, and, and perhaps a little bit of focus is coming into clarity for me. Thank you for bringing just a few more glimpses uh, as we put, put this piece of the puzzle back together. This indeed is a liminal time. And looking back at what has been is helpful to us as we head into the future uh, that is to come and that we are all helping to create. Each of you who are listening today, we invite you to ask yourself some of the same questions that we asked our leaders. What have you learned from this season? What has surprised you? Where is your hope? Where have you seen God at work? right around you. As we each seek answers to these questions in the season of Advent, we pray that we each may find a little more light together at the threshold. Thank you for joining us for our conversation today about navigating ministry in liminal time. You can find links to join future conversations at greatplainsumc.org slash at dash the dash threshold or subscribe to our podcast at the threshold on Podbean or Apple Podcasts. As for today, we hope that you've been able to see our new reality a bit clearer, asked a few new questions and been encouraged. And in the days ahead, we hope that you're finding some light at the threshold.